and take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 9, oh sorry, chapter 10. If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, you need to use one, there should be one in the pew in front of you, and Daniel chapter 10 is on page 748 of that Bible. Uh, Before we read the chapter, uh, I just want to remind those of you who are members of Gray Road, we do have a members meeting just after the service. If you're a guest with us, how thankful we are that you are here. If you're regularly coming, how thankful we are that you're regularly coming. But this, but this particular kind of meeting, a members meeting, is really just for those who are members of Gray Road. I know other, some other churches, people can sit, on, on, sit in on anything, uh, but we just do things differently. So, this would, so we'll have a moment afterward and we'll dismiss you, uh, and then we will stay uh, and basically have a family meeting is what we should think of it as. You don't invite your neighbors to the family meeting, so we love you neighbors, but it's a family meeting, I think is what I'm saying. All right, so uh, Daniel chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read all the way to chapter 11, verse 1. This is what the Spirit says. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks." On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude." And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come." When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. 
Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, we have already confessed that you are our teacher, and we pray by your Spirit now that you would teach us that you would open our eyes to see the truth and beauty of your word, that you would open our hearts to receive it, to love it. Lord, we pray if our thoughts are filled with other things, with the week behind us or the week before us, that you would dig out those thoughts and open a way for your word to be all that we think on now. Speak, O Lord, for we, your children, are listening. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In times of suffering, in the darkest of days, one common thing that happens is that we see the suffering and we see the pain and we see nothing else. Like we're on the front row of an IMAX theater with 3D glasses on and the pain and the suffering are on the screen. And the sound of the pain is all we hear and the sight of the pain is all we see. And we lose track of everything else, especially when dark days turn into dark weeks or dark months or even dark years. It's, it happens quite often that when one who is suffering comes for biblical counseling and I sit with them for the first time, they will speak of their pain, their struggle, the sins committed against them, the suffering they're enduring, the disease that's wrecking their body, the relationship that's falling apart, and it's truly heartbreaking to listen to. And it's not uncommon for them to finish 30 to 45 minutes of explaining the pain to me and to have something conspicuously absent from their story. Or more specifically, to have someone conspicuously absent from their story. And so I might ask something like, so where is God in all of this? And that question, with God's help, 
reorients the conversation. And I ask it for good reason, because often in suffering, all we can see is the pain in front of us, and we miss God. We forget God. But in truth, we have to be reminded God hasn't actually stopped working. He hasn't set aside His agenda for us. He hasn't thrown in the towel. And in reality, God's work goes on, even in those dark days. And that's actually what we see here in Daniel chapter 10. Now, chapters 10 to 12 are one unit that close out this book, and chapter 10 is the introduction to that unit, an introduction worth our time and attention because it teaches something important, namely that God's work goes on during dark days, so be encouraged. God's work goes on during dark days, so be encouraged. You see, even when God's hand isn't obvious to us, that doesn't mean it's absent from us. God's work goes on. Sometimes we just have to look for it. So we're going to look for it here in Daniel chapter 10. The first place we're going to look is behind closed doors. Behind closed doors. Now, verse 1 is a kind of summary of what's coming in chapter 11 this vision, this great conflict. But note the time stamp at the beginning of the verse. It is the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, you may remember, if you're uh, prone to remember, that in the first year of Cyrus, he made this royal… When, when Persia defeats Babylon, Cyrus takes over control, namely of the exiles, he makes a proclamation that anyone, any of these Jews who want to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild can go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And many do, but not all. Daniel doesn't. But just picture the scene. There are thousands upon thousands of Jews streaming out of Babylon. They begin this long journey home, and it's a journey filled with joy and anticipation. The songs that they felt like they couldn't sing in exile, they start humming those tunes once again. And their children are laughing and, and skipping and playing and asking thousands of questions. What will it be like? Will we live where Grandpa grew up? What kinds of animals live there? Where will I sleep? Are we there yet? And there's Daniel, standing at the western gate of Babylon, watching his people go, watching the children play, hearing the songs being sung, and he's smiling from ear to ear, and tears of joy run down his face, because God is doing what He said He would do. And when we get to chapter 10 of Daniel… It's two years later, and there are tears once again in Daniel's eyes, but now he's mourning. That's what verse 2 tells us, mourning for three weeks. Why? Well, things aren't actually going well in Jerusalem. You'll have to, for your homework, to read Ezra chapter 3 and 4 to see what's been going on since they got back, but I'll summarize. 
Just under 50,000 folks have gotten back to Jerusalem, and they've settled in. Now, there's going to be more folks that come later in a later wave, but they settle in, and they start to rebuild. So, they rebuild the altar. They rebuild the foundation of the temple. And that's as far as they get because opposition comes. And some folks come along who were there when they showed up, ones that we'll later call Samaritans. And they're there, and they say, you know what? We would love to help you build this wall, build this, uh, this temple. We worship this God too. The problem is that's not all they worshiped. So the Jews pick up on this, and they're like, no, thank you very much. You stay over there. We'll do the building. Well, this doesn't sit well with the Samaritans. And so you're wondering why Jesus says in John chapter 4 that Jews and Samaritans have nothing to do with each other. This is the kind of thing that happened in their history. So what happens is, rather than this kind of nice, we're going to come in in a stealthy way and hurt you, now the opposition is turned up. And so listen to what, what is said in Ezra 4. Then the people of the land, that's those who were there when they got there, discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now those counselors that they bribed, those are Persian officials slipping money under the table so the Persian government will back them in stopping the construction. And it works because construction is shut down for 15 years before it's picked back up. You know who's also in the Persian court? Daniel. So Daniel would hear this. He would hear about the discouragement. He would hear about the fear. He would hear about the work coming to a stop. And he's mourning. I mean, no wonder he's mourning. The Jews are suffering. And so he fasts. And if you'll notice in verse 3, it's a particular kind of fast. He refuses the luxuries that come with his privileged position. He won't have any meat. He won't have any wine. Now, this is particularly important because do you know what is celebrated in the first month? Passover. And he's fasting. This is a time when they should be celebrating, remembering God's great deliverance of his people. And he's mourning because God's people are suffering. He won't even anoint himself. He won't put on the lotion that's so helpful in the hot, dry sun. In other words, he will not take comfort while his people are suffering. Now, you see the same kind of response about a hundred years later in Nehemiah, don't you? In Nehemiah chapter 1, word comes to Nehemiah saying, hey, things are not good in Jerusalem. Gates are down, walls are burned, all kinds of things. Nothing's going on. And Nehemiah fasts, and he mourns, and he prays. Now, if you need a present day image of this solidarity, all you need to do is think of Johnny Cash. You know this song by Johnny Cash called Man in Black? In the song, he explains why it is he always wears black. And he goes on to describe people who are suffering from various kinds of things whether it's their own infliction, whether it's injustice on them, whether it's those in prison, those who've been wrecked by drugs. I mean, it's just all kinds of things. And he is wearing black to show solidarity with those who are suffering from various things. 
And Daniel, in his day, is the man in black. And Nehemiah, in his day, is the man in black. When his people suffer, he suffers with them. Friends, this is part of actually what it means to belong to the people of God. Because we're not just constituents in a community organization who happen to come together for an event once a week. We are a family. That's why Paul writes, if one member suffers, all suffer together. This week I read the story of a pastor in northern Nigeria who was killed at the hands of Muslims there. Now when you read a story like that, we ought not to simply feel bad for the people who lost him, for his wife, for his kids, for the church. We should feel pain with them. Because, friends, we lost a brother that day too. You may not know him, may not have ever met him, but your brother died serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our hearts are meant to be woven together as Daniel's is with the Jew, not just in theory, not just in Bible study, not just, you know, I can rattle off the theological truth that we have been reconciled to God and we're reconciled to one another, and, uh, you know, the wall of hostility has been broken down and we're all one in Christ, and, uh, you know, I can say all of that. The Bible's not interested in your ability to say all of that. The Lord is interested in whether you actually experience that. We're not merely woven together in name only. We're to be woven together in experience so that Paul says that we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that's what Daniel's doing. He's weeping with those who are weeping behind closed doors. God has moved his heart with the plight of the Jews. And so he mourns, he fasts, he prays. Now we know he's praying in part because that's what comes with fasting in the Old Testament. But also we know because when the visitor shows up, look what he says to him in verse 12. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Daniel's been praying in humility. Daniel's been praying for understanding. He's been praying, and God answers with the vision that we'll look at next week. Much in the same way, you'll remember that Daniel was praying at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, and God answers at the end of chapter 9, answers his prayer. But apart from this record, honestly, nobody would ever know what he was praying for. Because prayer happens behind closed doors. It happens in the chair where you do your morning quiet time or your evening quiet time. It happens at the bedside where you kneel or in the bed where you sit. Prayer happens on the solitary walks you take. Prayer happens on, on the, your commute to work. Prayer happens behind the closed doors of this auditorium once a month where believers just come together, just a, just a bunch of nobodies coming together to pray to God and lay our requests before Him. Just forgotten. It's a largely forgotten discipline in our day. 
But the fact is that the strength, of the, of the strength or weakness of a church isn't seen simply in its commitment to teach rightly. It's seen in her commitment to pray fervently. Right doctrine without the power of God will go nowhere. It's just a bunch of people talking about how they're right with one another. That's not a church. That's not God's family. So I would encourage you, begin to make time to be wherever it is that prayer is happening, including tonight at 7. Now you say, I haven't actually prayed like that in a long time. Well, you know what? I haven't actually walked on this foot in a long time. It's been more than six weeks, and some of you ask about it, and I'm thankful for your concern. You say, when will you get out of it? I say, don't ask me. I'm not in charge of when I get out of it. Hopefully sometime. But one thing I do know is that by walking in this boot, by not exercising it, that foot is weaker than the other one. I can feel it, and I could even tell this last week I noticed that that calf is smaller than the other one. And as you all know, I have very large and muscular calves. So it's very obvious when one shrinks down like that. But I noticed it, and I just thought, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time before that strength comes back. And do you know it's the same with a neglected prayer life? Because prayer is like a muscle. You neglect it, it will atrophy your prayer life will atrophy. And some of you think, I, could, I, I, can never, I can never be strengthened in that. Well, so long as you keep your prayer life in a boot, it'll never be strengthened. And so, it's time to get back active again, isn't it? So I hope you'll come. Because we live in dark days. But part of God's invisible work, part of the work that God does in dark days, is that He moves His people to pray. Sinclair Ferguson uh, tells a story about a woman in, in a church in Scotland who uh, had taught a class of girls for years and years and years. Had, there were times she would have a hundred girls in her class. And, and, and many of these girls went into ministry of various kinds and served as missionaries on the field. But then when the weakness of age got to her, she couldn't teach anymore. And so she spent all of her time praying But that's, that wasn't her taking a back seat to real ministry. It was just a ministry that happened behind closed doors. William Gurnall, the Puritan, said, When God intends a mercy for His people, He stirs up the spirit of prayer in them. And that's what God did in Daniel. But not only do we need to look behind closed doors, we need to look behind the scenes. <laughs> so, in response to Daniel's prayer, Daniel's standing by the Tigris River, and he has this vision of a man, but it's no ordinary man. Look at verses 5 and 6. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now, who is that? Well, 
as is the case with so many things in Daniel, there are debates about it, all right? Uh, there are three possibilities I ran across. The first is that this is an Old Testament Christophany. Now, a Christophany is a word that speaks of the appearance, an appearance made by the Son of God. So here it would be hundreds of years before He would become incarnate and be born as Jesus of Nazareth that this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And those who take that view point to things like the similarity between this description of Him and Revelation chapter 1, where John sees the risen Christ. And he says, His eyes were like a flame of fire, His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and His voice was like the roar of many waters. Which sounds very convincing. The hiccup that I keep hiccuping is in verse 13. When this one says, he withstood the king of Persia for 21 days until Michael came and helped him. Do you know what that little word help means? It means help. It means there's, there's a need involved that is met. Now those who take that view have to wrestle with how the omnipotent Son of God needs the help of Michael to do anything. So, if that's your view wrestle with that over lunch. The second view is that this is an angelic warrior of sorts. Like the cherubim in Ezekiel 1 who are described as having the appearance of burning coals of fire and their movements are like lightning and the whole vision of, uh, of Ezekiel 1 uh, throws Daniel to the ground. Uh, sorry, throws Ezekiel to the ground speechless. The third view is that there's two different beings. There's uh, the pre-incarnate Jesus up there in verses 5 and 6. But the one who needs help, that's not Jesus. That's somebody else. Now, my struggle with that, I have struggles with the angelic warrior view. I also have struggles with this because if you just read the text, if you're sitting there in a synagogue and you just read it, you're not thinking, oh, somebody else has shown up now. You don't think that. Because all the he's and the his's are referring back to the same hymn. So, I'll let you work that out. I don't think there's enough to be dogmatic about any of them, and I also don't think that's the point. I don't think the point is to identify the being. I think the, 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 the point is what happens and what he says. Notice what happens to Daniel. On ver in verse 9, he's knocked to the ground. He basically seems to be describing him passing out from being overwhelmed. I fell to my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And then it's only with encouragement that he eventually gets to his feet and he still can't stop shaking because the thing is so intense. And then the, voice, and then the angelic being, which is what I'll refer to this person as, speaks in verse 12. We already read the part about his prayers being heard. Look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days... But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. Now, basically what has happened after the angelic being says, your prayers have been heard, he pulls back the curtain to show Daniel what's been going on behind the scenes. Because on the stage, you see, Jerusalem, the Jews aren't doing too well. Remember that in Jerusalem? Because they're being opposed and because the Persian government has been bought into that opposition. But behind the scenes, 
The conflict behind the conflict here is in the heavenly places. On one side, there's the prince of the kingdom of Persia, a demon of some kind, and on the other, this angelic being, and Michael, who he calls one of the chief princes, and in verse 21 even says, your prince. And this isn't a one-time fight. This isn't just like a special occasion where the angelic beings were drummed up and now they're fighting. Because look at what he says in verse 20. Now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. In other words, the fight's not going to be over once Persia's out of power, because there comes Greece, and all the princes of Greece will come with them, and then we'll take up that fight too. In other words, this spiritual warfare is going on. You see, on the stage, any time in human history, there's all kinds of conflict with God's kingdom and God's people. There are laws being passed. There's slander being uttered. There are pastors being jailed and killed, and it's obvious, and it's substantial, and it can be seen, and it can be read about in the headlines. But all that we see happening in the world is not all that is happening in the world. I want you to imagine... Imagine that you're at the city of Jericho, about the 14th century B.C., and you're just watching, and an army shows up, and they just walk around the city with priests carrying an ark of sorts and a seven-piece trumpet band playing. And once they get all the way around the city, they go back to camp. And you think, this is silliness. Nothing happened. And they do it on Tuesday. Nothing happened. And they do it on Wednesday. And you go all through until you get to the seventh day. And then the seventh day, they don't even stop at once. They go around seven times. And as if to celebrate it, they have a great shout at the end. But then, something happens. And the walls crumble. And the army goes in to great victory. All that was happening was not all that was happening. God was at work. God did something there. God does the same kind of thing when He sets an ambush for Jehoshaphat's enemies. God does the same thing with Assyria who's knocking on the door of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah prays, and God sends an angel and wipes out 185,000 Assyrian men. I wonder, in our day-to-day life, I wonder if the reality of spiritual warfare, I wonder how often that actually comes into your mind. The reality, there's more happening in the world than what we can see happening in the world. Now, many people make one of two mistakes when it comes to spiritual warfare. On one side, you got the blame the demons for everything people, right? The the devil made me do it. You didn't give yourself to a life-dominating sin. That was a demon of alcohol or a demon of drugs or a demon of this or a demon of fill-in-the-blank. And then on the other side, instead of blaming the demons for everything, they just walk around blind to demons anywhere. You know, they can get into your Bible study and they can tell you all about the demons and the devil and all of these things that are true in the Bible, but once they leave the Bible study, they pretend like what they talked about in the Bible study isn't actually real. 
Friends, we can't make either one of those mistakes. We have to keep spiritual warfare in mind or else we'll have the wrong perspective. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yes, human beings take action against the church, but there's an enemy behind the enemy. The enemy. And remembering that gives us the right perspective. When man-made systems or philosophies or therapies or movements or critical theories take aim at the sufficiency of the Bible. You see, behind the enemies of the Bible are the rulers and the authorities and the spiritual forces of evil. Anything that attacks the truthfulness and sufficiency of the Bible is not okay to tinker with. You shouldn't play with it. It's not an analytical tool you should mess with. You should put it down. It's like messing with a live wire, except on the other end of that live wire is God. Saying, don't mess with this. Every, each system, philosophy, therapy, movement, theory, to use the language of Daniel 10, has its own prince. It's demonic. to accept anything that is not rooted in God's Word. It is demonic to think that we can formulate thoughts about the nature of mankind, about the problems that face the world, about the problems that face individuals, and about the solutions to those problems with anything that would gladly cut the knees out from under the Bible. Beware. Because it's everywhere. It is the very air that we breathe in 2021. Don't be the fish who doesn't know it's wet. But beyond those large-scale things, we have to have this perspective when we're going to share the gospel with a friend. Do you know why? Because what's happening there is more than a conversation. It's warfare. It's warfare. Because why is it that that friend has not yet believed? What has made them so blind to the truth? Is it because they have too many collegiate degrees to believe such a simple gospel? Is it because they're smarter than that? Wiser than that? I've grown out of that phase. No, 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 no. The Bible says that the God of this world, the prince as it were, has blinded the eyes of men so that they can't see it. And only the power of God can take those blinders off. There's more happening in the world than we can see. All that we see in the world is not all that's happening in the world. And Daniel gets the curtain pulled back so that he can see it. 
And, if we, and we get to look with him to see the spiritual warfare that's going on. And it's more than he can handle. The weight of what he's seen, the weight of the warfare, overwhelms him and drains him and leaves him powerless and breathless. And he says as much in verses 15 to 17, which I won't read right now. But what happens immediately after is that an, the angelic being comes and touches Daniel and strengthens him and then speaks to him. And look at what he says to him in verse 8, 19. O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. Yes, you are mourning. Yes, your people are suffering. Yes, there is this demonic activity and spiritual warfare like you couldn't imagine. But be encouraged. Be encouraged. Daniel, your prayers have been heard. Be encouraged. God has responded and dispatched angelic beings. Be encouraged. God won't abandon His people. He'll keep fighting for them in the future. Be encouraged. You may not see God working, but He is for His glory and your good. So be encouraged. And Daniel, nothing has changed the fact that you are greatly loved. The pain in the present hasn't changed God's love. It hasn't changed God's faithfulness. So don't fear. He's told that in verse 12 and verse 19. Fear not. If God is for you, who can be against you? Fear not. I wonder, friend, this morning, do you need to be encouraged? Do you need this kind of reminder? Do you need to remember that the darkness of this world and the growing evil that opposes God and the pain in your life and the suffering you're walking through, none of it has changed God's love for you. None of it has changed God's faithfulness, and it never will. And when you need that kind of reminder, you know what? Know this. When you need that reminder, we have something better than an angelic being showing up, tapping us on the shoulder and talking to us. We have the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where God's love is on full and final and permanent display. Romans 5, God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's the empty tomb. Christ was raised from the dead. Christ's death is sufficient for your sin. God's wrath against you has been poured out on Jesus. You are forgiven. And if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, none of that applies to you right now. And I would beg of you to consider the state of your soul, to consider the fact that the God who works this way, this kind of reality that is beyond just kind of the here and now and cutting off heaven and I'm just worrying about this life. There is more to this life than just this life. There is a Savior who has died for you. A God who will forgive you if you would turn to Him in faith. And for those who believe, because Christ has died and been raised again and is our high priest, do you know what? Our prayers are heard. So be encouraged. God responds to us, though we don't always see how or anticipate when. So be encouraged. 
God will never leave us or forsake us. He won't abandon us ever, so be encouraged. God is working all things together for His glory and for our good. You may not see how, but you can know that He is, so be encouraged. And friend, this love for us in Jesus Christ, it will never change. It will never be taken from you because you will never be taken from Him. The only time the love that God has for us will change is when the death of His Son is no longer sufficient, and that will never be. So in your dark days, as you mourn, just like Daniel, when you crumple under the pain, when you're left weak and powerless and breathless, when the warfare is too much to handle, when God seems distant, know this, that the hand that reaches to you is not an angel's hand. It is the hand bearing the scars that saved you. And the voice that speaks to comfort you says, you are greatly loved. And neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So fear not. Fear not. The heat is up. Fear not. Peace be with you. The world is chaotic and turmoil surrounds us. Peace be with you. And be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Let's pray. Father, we need your grace if those things are to be true of us. And so we ask for your grace. Oh God, we pray that you would press this truth deep in us to know and believe that you are working in the darkest of days even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it. Help us to believe it because you promised. Help us to have faith, to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray that you would stir us to prayer. That we would not think that the great power is in the spotlight, but that it is behind closed doors with the Father who hears and sees in secret. We ask that you would keep us mindful of the reality of spiritual warfare that there is one who prowls like a lion seeking whom he may devour and we ask that you would keep us from fear that you would give us peace and strength in you 
We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has crushed Satan's head. Amen.